Welcome, my friends, to episode 5 of the Continuous Improvement Journey podcast. I'm Hayden Barker from Continuous Improvement Journey, where we help you take continuous improvement to the next level so you can destroy your organization's status quo, devastate your competitors, and fuel revolutionary innovation. During episode 3 and 4, I gave an introduction to the 13 foundational laws of system optimization. They'll help guide us along our continuous improvement journey. But before I get into that episode, I have two apologize to make. First, I have some bad nasal congestion, so my voice is probably more nasally than normal. And, uh, well, of course, you probably are saying to yourself, well, hey, doesn't your voice sound weird and nasally anyway? So what's the difference? But anyway, the, the, the second apology is, unfortunately, it's been about six months since I've released episode three and four, which is quite a reflection on my part to improve. Um, just a lot of things going on with kids and work in school. Or, well, not really school, I'm out of school. But, However, in my defense, I have been working on an online course called The Medicine of Lean Six Sigma and the Five Side Effects to Avoid. This online course took up quite a bit of my free time over the past six months, but it's finally available on Skillshare through their subscription pricing and the cijourney.com website. By way of reminder of the 13 foundational laws of system optimization that we talked about in episode 3 and 4, they are as follows. The first one is the law of variation. Second, the law of operational and process wastes. Three, the law of WIP, or work in process and process flow. Four, the law of safety stocks. Five, the law of supplier relations. Six, the law of customer relations. Seven, Law of Design for Manufacturing, which is also includes Design for Assembly. Eight, the Law of Employee Training, which is based on the TWI or Training with Industry. Nine, the Law of Employee Relations. Ten, the Law of Standard Work. Eleven, the Law of Quality. Twelve, the Law of Tolerances and Total Costs. And last, thirteen, the Law of Resistance to Change. So there might be uh, no coincidence why that might be the unlucky 13. But specifically for episode 5, why we're here is we like to dive deeper into the law of variation, which is the most important and maybe the least understood law when running an organization. So there's no coincidence why I have that one as the first law. So the the two people I learned in depth about about the law of variation why I came up with this is that I've read a lot of the works of W. Edwards Deming and Donald Wheeler, who both studied intensely Walter Schuart's work on statistical thinking and SBC, or Statistical Process Control Charts. If you have not read the books New Economics or Out of the Crisis by Deming and Understanding Variation and the Key to Managing Chaos by Donald Wheeler, Well, let's just say you are missing out on some priceless wisdom when understanding about the law of variation, especially Donald Wheeler's book specifically about, well, understanding variation. I like the second part of his title, The Key to Managing Chaos. Well, I think that's what we all live in a lot of times with all of our organizations, so it definitely would help. Deming's work are a little hard to understand or conceptualize for some However, Understanding Variation by Donald Wheeler is simple to understand, even though it is a book on statistics. 
Speaking about statistics, for some who are not nerds like me, it may feel statistics is a swear word. However, I was fortunate enough when I was finishing up my manufacturing engineering degree that I had a wonderful statistics teacher on the first day of class. He told us to return the required book for the class to the bookstore, and he said, well, you don't need that. Uh, what we're going to do is we're going to work on real-life industry problems to have you get ready for when you graduate. And I thought, well, that's, that's really awesome. So it's been really good when I had my degree, when I was earning that, is that we had both in statistics and a few other classes where we actually focused on real-life industry problems instead of learning out of a, a book, which is not bad, but uh, definitely a lot better. But you don't need a statistical degree to understand variation. However, it would greatly help to have someone on your team who is well-versed in statistical analysis or if you're uh, a willing soul, learn about it yourself. Uh, that's one thing that I did. I was uh, didn't think I was ever going to be a statistician, but man, it's uh, been a very important tool for me and has brought a lot of success to my career, a lot of different projects that I've worked on. And so I'm very grateful for the learning that I received about statistical analysis because it's been really interesting to see how statistics has helped the companies I've worked for to understand problems that really, some of them really have been afflicting them for like five, sometimes even ten years, and they thought, well, it's just artistic work, you know, it's not a process. It's like very, you have to have one person that it's really well versed in this, and it's just, you have to do it this certain way, and that's how we've been doing it for ten years. And I thought, well, okay. But what, what I found is not only does the law of variation help us understand and resolve our past, it can greatly help guide our organization along our continuous improvement journey and help solidify our future by helping us create stable and, in a way, predictable processes and system, even though you live in variation. And what I said in episode 3, going back to that, uh, about the, the law of variation, is it's probably one of the most important laws of the system optimization, like I said a little before and that it needs to really be studied in depth and understood before we can make any more decisions that will affect the future of our organizations. But one question I posed was, well, how can you study something so variable and random like variation? Like, what's the purpose of that? But really what I want to get my point across is the vision we want, or I guess what I'd like to see, is to have our organizations grow and become optimized to improve the quality of the lives of our employees and society in general. And the first step to do that is learning about the law of variation. So if learning about variation is not our focus, our organizations will slowly drift and fall into shambles and will become lost and forgotten as other companies who have lost their focus. So every process or system has variation. We cannot live in a bubble. Uh, no matter how much lean peddlers want to have us believe that if you just implement a few tools, Everything will be hunky-dory, and all you need to do is just implement these tools, especially just-in-time manufacturing, and sometimes you wonder, well, why isn't this working? It caused more problems. Well, it's because we didn't address the variation in your process first. So uh, we cannot eliminate all variation, but we can gain an upper hand as we study and understand the variation present in our systems. And so what I suggest is that as we learn more about variation in our processes and systems, we will come to know that the variation present tends to be reoccurring patterns and trends. 
Now, instead of me getting technical, what I would like to do is tell some stories of how statistics have helped some of the companies that I've worked for. My first experience is probably one of the main ones that I, as I was going to school, is about the the power of correlation analysis. And if you don't know what correlation analysis is, as if you turn up a machine or do so, change something or you increase it, will that affect the output in a good way or a bad way? And so you're trying to find the difference between two or even more multiple different settings on either machine or either a process or whatever it might be to try and tell a story about basically did did something change that's really what statistics is is trying to figure out if I change something is it going to be a good thing or a bad thing so the story that I have is they had a heat shrinking process and they were having they've been having this problem for all these years and again it was kind of going back to well this is a this is not a, a process. It's a it's an artistic process. You have to be just perfect, and you have to do this a certain way, and you have to do all these different things. And it's just the the amount of quality that came out of there was just not very good. And so what I was noticing is that a lot of these parts they would come in and they would be like, oh shoot, they're at that tolerance of the drawing, and they'd have to call in an engineer, and the engineer would have to come down and look at it. And a lot of times they were buying off on that these parts were falling at tolerance. Since I'm a acquisitive mind, I uh, brought up two questions. First one, well, if you're buying it off all the time, it sounds like the drawing specifications could be changed and laxed a little bit, especially with how artistic this process is. So that was one thing I was thinking about. But the other thing is, well, what can we do to address the variation that's going on with the process? And so we looked at all kinds of things, and man, I did all I did all kinds of correlation analysis uh, analysis anyway, the correlation analysis, and man, we could not figure it out. Again, it's like they've been doing with this for five or actually more like ten, sometimes even fifteen years. But finally, I went out there right before I left, and I was looking at the fixtures that they were using, and I was like, wait a minute. A lot of these are different thicknesses. I was looking at like they look a little bit bent. A lot of these thinner fixtures look a little bit bent. So I guess that kind of gives a show. If you go out to Gimba or where the real work happens, instead of just sitting at your desk and behind your computer all the time, you have to do kind of both to understand things. But anyway, so I went out there and I found this out and I was like, okay, maybe in the morning uh, I'll do a correlation analysis and I did a measurement of all those fixtures and sure enough the thin fixtures because it was a heat shrinking process the fixtures would get heated up and they would warp with the special metal that they had for those fixtures by the way a lot of that metal was just kind of scrapped stuff and so that's why they didn't have consistent thicknesses and so I found that the thicker fixtures they were just spot on every single time Every single part that came out of those thicker fixtures were perfect. Very small variation. And so I said, well, um, I did actually, uh, I was learning uh, this in school, it's called a, a Taguchi loss function, which is a lot different from like Western type of mindset with drawings, how we have a U-shaped kind of a square, like are they very on the very edge of the drawing specification. It's, it's within limits and so it's just fine, but... What Taguchi said is that the further away that you get from your target 
measurement or process, the more loss or increase of cost to both you and the customer will uh, occur. And so it's actually like a parabola shaped instead of a kind of a square. Like if you're just barely out of the specification, oh, it's got, it's bad. It's just barely in, oh, it's good. But really over the long term, especially for a high uh, tolerance or a high, like even like a car engine, uh, let's just have all of our tolerances on the very edge. How's that car then last? It's not going to last for very long. That's what happened with a lot of cars up until the uh, 1980s is that, you know, especially when we get into the 1990s and 2000s, is they, a lot of car manufacturers realized, oh, you know, we need, actually need to produce to target. But anyway, just want a little bit of backstory about Toguchi loss. Uh, but I did a Toguchi loss function, and basically it tells you the loss that you'll incur of all the parts that you have made in the past, made, made in the past, and what what I found out is they were losing about a, a little over $100,000 a year because of this. Once we figured that out, they started to produce the same thickness fixtures and got everything together, and man, it was uh, nice to see the process that's completely in chaos and out of control, and then you implement something, uh, that's successful and then everything's great everything it's not a artistic process anymore and so they actually were able to train other people to take care of that process especially since the person has been doing it for a long time and is already retired so it helped kind of pave the way that okay this person can actually feel good about retiring without having to train somebody on this crazy variable artistic process it became a stable process that it could be trainable second experience I want to share about the, is the power of design of experiments or DOEs. This occurred for a huge recall issue on a critical part on one of the companies that I worked for. We were looking at a whole bunch of different things and man it cost a lot of money and we weren't really sure what the root cause was and so again I go down to Gimba and I was asking the, the lead operator of that area questions about what, what, what could have happened with this like what, what do we think the root cause and so we were doing a fishbone diagram and figuring all this out and then we were looked over at this special plastic and he was like well one thing that was kind of interesting is that these plastic parts started to come to us in ziploc bags uh, before they were in these vacuum sealed bags or the when they get to us the vacuum seal has been opened like somebody's been counting them and so they've just been dumping them in these uh, Ziploc bags and I was like hmm I don't know much about this plastic but let me look at it and see what's going on about moisture and I was looking at 3d printing type of applications and they said if you get moisture in your plastic it, you're gonna get holes in your parts and all these bubbles I was looking at pictures online I'm like oh that looks a lot like the holes in our parts huh interesting so again just something very very small and people didn't really think too much that, oh, if I open up this vacuum bag seal and count all the parts in it, that I'm actually creating havoc for both the process and ultimately the customer for this recall issue. And so even these small things, and so I found that, uh, well, we didn't have really have much of a process. And so another thing, too, is that half of the bags that we're getting from the vendor were losing their vacuum seal. And so we talked to them about, let's get a thicker uh, bag and even if the bag loses its seal that maybe we could have a little absorbing packet that would be good and 
We implemented these things, changed the uh, way that they count these things. We we're not, we're not supposed to open them up. They're always supposed to be sealed. And that another variable thing is that it was kind of an oscillating problem because at the very beginning of the shift, everything was good, but towards the end of the shift, it was not because what they were doing is that not only were they in vacuum bags, but they also were drying this plastic before they were using it. And so they were drying it overnight. Everything was good. They got the moisture out. But later in the day, it's like the parts started to have all these crazy problems and horrible holes in it. So uh, again, it's just nice to see like, oh, if we just change this one little thing and well, poof, everything is doing great. And so we did all kinds of different tests and it was nice because uh, it was able to use this design of experiment to really kind of show and under help the customer and also our parent company understand about the recall issue and that we are actually we're resolved the issue and that we're address some other things to help the manufacturer of the part be a lot better and easier and less variation. And so the uh, the third experience I want to share is the power of SPC or statistical process control charts. And one thing I just want to suggest, if you do nothing else with statistics or with your process or with your organization, at least learn and use the power of SPC charts. I cannot tell you the number of times that SPC charts have been used to indicate when your system starts drifting off specification or shifted when a change occurs. Uh, SPC are one of the main keys to help us understand the law of variation. One of the stories that I have is they had this uh, testing equipment where they would condition this part and then they'd take a, a measurement. And uh, I, we noticed that when I was diving into it, like, well, why are we getting all these reworked parts? We have to rework 100% of the time when this occurred, like when we had uh, inline failures down on the production floor. And then I also did a little bit of analysis and said, well, what about a return rate from our customers? But found out that uh, 100% of the time, we had to rework it was because of this issue and 50% of the re re returns that were related to this issue were di a direct root cause of this. And so anyway, they, they were taking this measurement and it was actually a negative measurement, which uh, the type of measurement they're making is can never be negative. It cannot po be possible. And so half of their uh, testing equipment were measuring the, this negative measurement and I uh, did a correlation analysis and found uh, yeah, there's uh, basically 100% that any of these parts that come off of these negative measurement equipment, uh, they have to be reworked later down on the line. And so we uh, were able to adjust the the offsets, the, the baseline measurement, of all this equipment. And over time, we were able to see, oh, now we don't have to rework all these parts as much or hardly at all. I've always wanted to do SBC charts, but this is one of the first things of great opportunity to be able to use SBC charts and so we found that uh, once we implemented these charts we could uh, track the baseline measurement of these and the measurements of each of the parts coming off and if they started to drift up or drift down or all of a sudden shift it would be a good indication to us oh something changed let's go back and readjust the offsets of that equipment so it will measure and man it just, it's just so nice to find these small little root causes that reflect havoc on our systems and once you find oh it's a special little switch and that's kind of what I like to say about all these uh, different processes we have are like these multiple switches and if you turn something on and off and once you figure out what that actually does man they're just so powerful to have these different things and so the fourth thing that I have is I want to share an experience about uh, these statistical methods of 
uh, correcting our levels of reorder points, safety stocks, and inventory limits on that we have on hand, or in other words, uh, in Kanban terms, or reorder points or maximum inventory levels. And so what I would like to talk about is how this one company that I worked for had all the wrong parts that, that uh, they did not need. They were in inventory, and they were always talking about all the parts that they really did need. And so one thing that I brought up with them is it really seemed counterintuitive, but what we needed to do is follow little laws of increased inventory levels of our high-turn items and then decrease the inventory levels on all of our low-turn items. Well, some of you might say, well, that's, that's just the way you do things. That's how you run a business as far as your inventory levels. Some more maybe like the lean side of things is uh, that's counterintuitive. You shouldn't be increasing your inventory levels. You should always decrease it. Well, if you look at Little's Law, what it does is that if you increase it to a specific level, your inventory levels, you actually will increase your throughput and your service level and for your customer. And so what ends up happening is either there's two things. Uh, first, either what's kind of really common is the company does not as poor inventory management and does not adjust their safety stock or reorder points and they haven't been updated for five or more years the second thing is we focus too much on lean specifically just in time manufacturing where we said oh we need to have the lowest amount of inventory well if you decrease your inventory at an unsafe level and when you have not decreased your variation in your process then you basically shot yourself in the foot or inflicted pain more pain and torment on your company and yourself than really is necessary and so what you need to do is increase your inventory levels to a specific inventory level through statistical means instead of just kind of oh i think it's this or let's go with averages well if you go with averages you're still going to be if you think about it on a distribution chart if you always do the average you're going to be 50% late and 50% on time for either getting those parts or actually getting them out uh, for them to be used. And so, again, it seems counterintuitive, but you need to stop really listening to a lot of these lean peddling people talking about just-in-time inventory levels. And so what you do is, I learned this from the book Factory Physics. Uh, again, that is a... a Man, it about explodes your brain if you're not a person that has a more of a statistical mind or mathematical mind. I had a hard time. I had to go over and over and over again to understand what it's going doing. But man, it's like once I did, I'm like, oh, that's what all this calculus craziness. They never really told me that that's why you have to have calculus in the school. And it's like, man, this makes sense because it's like you're trying to adjust your most optimized level of inventory, not reduce it. And so that's what Little's Law and also Factory Physics does, is it gets you at a specific level that will account for variation and account for all the lead time problems that you have and get it at a specific level and also gives you like a service level. But once you do that, you have, yes, you do increase more of your inventory and your cost, but yet you get more throughput, which kind of counteracts that because you get more throughput, you get more money. And then also your service level goes up and your variation, you understand your variation a lot more. And man, it's just so nice when you make all these changes with uh, statistics and everything runs so smooth and a lot better. And even if things change, you're able to recognize those changes, especially with SBC charts and all these statistical things. But you're able to resolve these things as they happen instead of, oh crap, 
these machines have been measuring this negative uh, measurement for six months. Oh my gosh, who, we didn't even know. Or we're always stuck in this part of this inventory, this vendor is always late. Well, it's because we're not looking at all the variation. And so I can go on and on, probably boring, uh, more boring. I don't know. Maybe these are exciting stories, but when we truly come to understand the law of variation, you come to understand that just in time inventory will quickly turn into never in time inventory when variation is not first understood or reduced and resolved. And so something else that I want to learn more about to further my experience about reorder points and inventory levels is uh, conducting Monte Carlo simulations. Just kind of giving a quick introduction to that. We can go to depth more. You can contact me more about that at Hayden Barker at LinkedIn. And uh, doing Monte, Monte Carlo simulations really, really takes into account thousands of different variation possibilities of all the inputs from your system. And it basically looks at your current variation inputs from your organization, systems, and process. And so when you perform Monte Carlo simulations, it helps calculate the correct inventory levels given the variation in your system and helps. Just another way of, it's not really forecasting. I know forecasting is another swear word and does never reliable, but man, when you have these statistical methods and tools, you can understand and predict the future a lot more than our current way of managing organizations. And so in closing, whether you dive deep in statistics like I have done, become a statistics nerd, or you only implement SPC charts, the key that all that I'm saying is that when you come to understand variation, you'll be given a new lens that will cause you to look at your organization in ways that you never thought about before. It was W. Edwards Deming who said something to effect that most organizations run their companies like someone trying to drive their car forward by only looking through the rearview mirror. Well, you know, only one can think about how that would work to drive your car through only the rearview mirror. Uh, yet companies do this without realizing that they are leading this organization through the rearview mirror and it's completely normal the way that they're doing that and they think that's just the norm. However, when we come to understand the law of variation, how it affects every aspect of our business, we'll be able to take our eyes off the rear of your mirror, look forward through your windshield. You'll be able to safely guide your organization along your continuous improvement journey. And then you can use your rear of your mirror as was intended to see where you have been and the success you created for your organization. And as we actively help our organizations to succeed, our employees' and customers' lives will be positively impacted. As you help organizations along the journey to continuous improvement, learn to continuous improve yourself, become more loving, kind, and generous. In doing so, we can positively impact those around us and change others' lives and bring peace to our family and those who live in this world. Thank you for listening, my friend. Let's hope I don't wait another six months to create the next episode of The Difference Between the Law of Operational Wastes and Process Wastes, where Lean has really put process waste on the pedestal of eliminate and all waste, where they have forgotten about the other 75% of the waste that are in our organization, which lies in decreasing operational wastes by looking at having a systems mindset.